a few announcements today. East End Ministry, um, if you guys are not aware, Tuesday nights and Friday nights on the corner of 7th and Campbell. Tuesday nights we have uh, trash pickup, um, and Friday nights we have the cookout, both starting around 6 o'clock. If you guys can get there before um, and help out, that'd be great. If you cannot participate, if you guys are busy with um, work or whatever, please be praying about the ministry going on in the East End and for the people there, um, that they'll come and we can help show Jesus to them. Also, Autumn wanted me to announce about the nursery. Um, we lost a lot of people from volunteering, so she's wanted me to stress a lot that we need people in the nursery. Um, so if you guys can, just every once in a while, um, try, and, try and put in a weekend or something where you can go out and help with the kids um, so we can have more help in the nursery. Also, Eric will be leaving soon, and so will Megan. So um, put that on your prayer list too as well. And uh, Ryan told me to tell you guys to keep our schedule cleared up for um, the move-in days down at Shawnee. Um, we will have stuff coming. Um, dates aren't out yet, but we'll have stuff coming um, and more as it gets towards that time. Um, I also had a joke to kind of lighten the mood, so give me a second. It's a good one. <laughs> Eric, you know this one. Of course, we're in church. Okay, so I was walking across a bridge one day, and I saw a man standing on the edge about to jump off. <laughs> I immediately ran over and said, stop, don't do it. He said, why shouldn't I? I said, well, there's so much to live for. Like what? Well, are you religious or an atheist? He says, religious. Me too. Are you Christian or Jewish? Christian. Me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? Protestant. Me too. Are you an Episcopalian or Baptist? Baptist. Wow, me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? Baptist Church of God. Me too. Are you original Baptist Church of God, or are you Reformed Baptist Church of God? Reformed Baptist Church of God. <gasps> Me too. Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1879, or Reformation Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915? Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915. Die, heretic. <laughs> Sorry, that was, I thought it was funny. Since you guys are all smiling now, um, greet your neighbor. Love you. So what's up, Revolution? That might be one of the best ones I've ever had. Um, yeah, Kelly. Um, all right, so I have said a lot of really dumb things in my life, which might come as a shocker to some of you who don't know me too well. Uh, thank you, Ryan. Um, again, if there was a greatest hits reel for all the dumb stuff that I've said, like there's not enough time in the rest of the day to play it, even if it were in like five-second sound bites, I've said that many stupid things. And the thing about once you say something, you can't take it back. And I would like to tell you, the truly greatest hits, but Ryan always tells me that if I say anything inappropriate into the microphone, that I'll never preach again in this church. Um, so I would tell you the good stuff. Ryan won't let me, but I do have a couple uh, things. Um, these are kind of funny, kind of mean, whatever. Um, I, I remember when I was 16 years old, I, I was working at my mom's convenience store, and this woman came in, and um, she, how do I say, she was a, a big woman. 
She was a big lady. Um, I'm not, I'm not, she just was. And, uh, and especially around her, her belly, it, it was hard looking as if there were like a human being growing inside of it. Um, don't get ahead of me here. Um, and I, I looked at her and I said, so, you know, I rung her stuff up. So when's your baby do? And her eyes narrowed. And it was like convenience store purgatory. For, it felt like four hours. And I know that she, she it was only like three or four seconds. She just, and then her eyes narrowed and she said, what baby? And I said, that'll be five seventy-five, ma'am. Um, please get out of my store. <laughs> Like, that's, that's one of them. Uh, and another time I was playing in a band. Uh, I played in a hardcore band for a few years. And we were playing a show. And uh, this dude was like, we were in the backstage area. And he was getting his guitar rig set up. And he's like, so what kind of music are you into, man? And instead of, him, what, instead of telling him what kind of music I like, I started, I went on like a 20-minute rampage about this one particular genre that I despise called post-hardcore. I hate it. Don't listen to it ever. It's miserable. And... Uh, and then he goes on stage and literally plays that exact same genre that I had just just bashed in. Told him, like, you're talentless if people play that kind of music. And then he gets off stage and, like, things are super awkward between us backstage. Um, but that, that's all I got because Ryan won't let me say anything else. They get progressively worse and worse and worse. Um, but I, I've, I've, heard a lot of, I've heard a lot of people with the words that have came out of my mouth. Um, and I thought I was being funny sometimes, or I thought, you know, I'm just telling the truth, and if the truth hurts, then you can deal with it, man. Um, like, since I've actually, since I've graduated high school, I've had people come to me and tell me that I was a bully. Um, and I didn't realize, like I said, I thought I was being funny. I didn't realize the damage that I was doing with, with the things that I was saying to people. Um, you know, our words have the capacity to devastate people, and we don't even know it sometimes. Um, and I think James knew that. Tonight we're in the book of James, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, uh, if you have a blue Bible uh, in your seats, you can take that home with you. If you don't have a Bible, you can flip there. Or if you're lazy like me, it's going to be up here on the projector. Um, but I think that's why James wrote this. Is he knew what kind of power that our words have. He knew what kind of power that our tongue holds, for, for good or for bad. Um, so let's, let's see what the text has to say. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. So right off the bat, um, I read those first two verses because to understand why the first verse says what it says, you've got to know what comes after it. So James is saying that if we could control our speech and never sin in our speech, we would never sin anywhere else, that we would be perfect. Which leads me to believe that we will always struggle with the way we talk to people, the way we talk about people, the things that we say. It's going to be something we struggle with forever because we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be sinless. That is impossible. Um, But in light of how easy it is to sin in our speech, James says, not all of you should want to become teachers in the church because we will be judged more strictly. Now, this isn't where we're going to camp out, but I got to go for a few minutes, kind of like a little sidebar thing over here. Um, Teachers will be judged more strictly because we talk so much. Like, I spend 30 to 40 minutes up here every Sunday, and I talk. People come to me with questions, and I talk. People come to me for counseling sometimes, and I talk. I talk too much most of the time anyway. But we're going to be judged because we have, there's so much weight to what we're trying to answer. We're trying to give people biblical truth. We're trying to give people gospel truth. And whenever we die, we'll have to give an account for everything that we ever said. To Jesus, I got, I'm not sure how that works out. I talked to a handful of pastors; they aren't entirely sure. But what everyone does agree on and does know is that we will have to give an account 
for what we said, if we were right or whether we're wrong. So we'll be judged because we open ourselves up to the ability to hurt people and to sin. So for those of you would-be teachers out there, people who think that this is something you want to do, um, weigh it out. Is, is the juice, juice worth the squeeze? Do you feel like you're being called to teach or is this something you want to do because you think you're going to get some kind of social influence or respect or some kind of clout? Because I'm telling you, I've been doing this for a year and there isn't much of that. Um, people tend to think you're an idiot most of the time. Um, but I'll, I'll say this about me personally, and then we're going to come off the teacher's thing. I would not be doing this if I were not convinced that this is what Jesus has called me to do and that this is the gift the Holy Spirit's given me to use for the church because I don't want this responsibility. I'm being really honest with you. Uh, so any of you that would, would want to be teachers, weigh all of that out. But that's not where we're landing on this, but that had to be said. Uh, but we're moving on to verse 3. So we're talking about speech, right? Speech is the hardest thing to control. And in light of that, James talks about the tongue being a small thing that does big stuff. It says, uh, verse 3, We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. And a better translation is the tongue boasts of great things. All right, so just like a bit controls a horse or a rudder controls a ship, something very small can control something very large. Our tongue tends to direct, how we talk tends to direct us in life. If we can control our tongue, we can within reason control our lives. And the tongue being able to boast of great things is a legitimate claim to power. The tongue is the most powerful member of your entire body, for good or for bad, right? Think like Harry Potter, Ollivander, like Voldemort did great things, terrible, but great things. Anyone? I got three people. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, But great things for good or for bad. And in light of that kind of power, he says, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Your tongue is a spark. You can set people on fire with the words you say. And among all of the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. So our tongue, if we let it go unchecked, can rage out of control and do things that we never meant for it to do to the people around us. Just like the people in Colorado that leave a little couple embers still burning in their campfire. Next thing you know, like 1.3 million acres of forest is burned down. You can do damage that you didn't even mean to do. And I thought this was interesting too. It says you can set your whole life on fire. Uh, the, the Greek actually leaves this idea of like the wheel of life, right? Like everything around you. So your speech doesn't just affect you and necessarily the person that you talk to, but it can affect everyone within your sphere of influence because word gets around, does it not? So the words that you say has, have huge repercussions. 7 through 12. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. So what he's saying in here is that it is inconsistent. For those of us who follow Jesus, Jesus created the people around us, and then to 
for us to talk badly about the people around us. It makes no sense. You speak bad of the creation, you're speaking bad of the creator. It's like knowing a carpenter that, like, you know he does good work, you see all the good work that the carpenter does, and then you're like, but that house you built freaking sucked, right? But, like, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's the same kind of concept. We know that God is good, he makes everything good, and yet we talk about it as if it's awful. It's inconsistent with what following Jesus says, or with follow, what following Jesus dictates about how we're supposed to talk to each other. And honestly, most of the time I'll say this, our sinful speech stems from arrogance, it's a lack of understanding of where we are in the grand scale of the universe. Like Matt preached this morning at Christ Community, there is Jesus and there is everyone else. And whenever we tend to have sinful speech and talk down and talk badly about people, we've stair-stepped it. Like there's Jesus and then there's me and then there's the people that have talked bad about me and then there's the people that have hurt me and then there's the people that have cheated on me or whatever. And then out of sheer arrogance, we talk badly about people. We, we sin in our speech. So James wants consistency from believers. So, in light of all that, I don't know about you guys, but I felt like this was kind of a jump, right? We just talked about works, and we talked about Abraham and Rahab, and, you know, faith without works is dead, and then all of a sudden he starts talking about speech. Like, it's like Proverbs, right? It just comes out of nowhere, it seems like. But if you, if you can get inside James's mind, it actually makes sense. What he's saying is words are works. Words are, are, are an offshoot of works. Uh, in James uh, one twenty six, we talked about a few weeks ago, he says, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. And why is that? Because Jesus says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever's in your heart comes out your mouth eventually at some point in time. So our speech reflects what kind of faith that we have. Now, in light of that, it, you need to check yourself on this, and I have to, too, because I am the worst whenever it comes to this kind of stuff. You know, does your speech reflect the grace of God? Are you gracious with people whenever you speak? Does your speech reflect the mercy that God's shown you? Does it reflect kindness like Jesus showed to people less fortunate, people that were actually lower than him, but he, he didn't act that way? Is your speech arrogant? Are you speaking encouragement into people like Ephesians tells us to? Are you speaking truth even whenever it's hard? And I mean truth graciously to be able to point out sin in someone else's life because you love them or do you just let it slide because you don't want the confrontation? So out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So does anyone else feel convicted? Anyone? Just me and a couple other? Yeah, I'm the worst at this crap. I'm just saying, like I am, you could ask my family, you could ask my friends, I suck at this really, really, really bad. Like the posture, like my default posture, whenever someone says or does something that I don't like, is just to go off, right? Like I'm worse than like a hip hop artist sometimes, like whenever I get super mad, right? <laughs> um, that's, my, that's my default posture. You know, I was picked on growing up. Um, I, I, I got some, people would make fun of me on a regular basis. And I learned, you know, if someone messes with you, slam them. If someone makes you feel stupid, make them feel dumber, um, like that, that's just kind of how that, that's my default nature. So I'm, I'm just as bad as any of you, if not worse. Like Paul says, I'm chief among sinners whenever it comes to this. Um, so if we're going to try to overcome sinful speech, we need to define what sinful speech is. And I've said this before, and some of you might disagree with me. We can talk about it in the parking lot. We'll go a couple of rounds. You'll probably beat me down to be totally honest. Don't let the beard fool you. I'm a child. Um, <laughs> But sinful speech, all right, sinful speech is, is not the seven words you can't say on television like George Carlin talked about, right? It's not that. It's not the words that get beeped out on TV. Um, 
And like I said, if you want to debate me on that, we can talk about it later, but that's not where we're landing on this. Sinful speech goes much deeper than just words, just merely choosing words. It goes a lot deeper than that. I wish it were so easy that it was, here's a list of 15 words Jesus doesn't want you to say, and that's the end of it. That would be so much easier than than what we're getting ready to talk about. But sinful speech, if I were to define it, is, is speech that doesn't reflect the love, grace, and mercy given to us through Jesus Christ. And that's a very large principle. Any speech that does not reflect that kind of grace and mercy and love given to us through our faith in Jesus is sinful. So what sinful speech looks like is this. You know, they hurt me and I am mad. So I'm going to tell you what they did. And I'm going to tell you why I'm mad. And I'm going to tell you why that you shouldn't like them either. I'm going to get you on my side. I'm going to gossip. I'm going to slander them. Did you hear what that person did? Did you hear about that? Well, we should probably pray for them. But did you hear what they said, man? Like, yeah, everyone's been there. Yeah, we should pray for them, a bunch of sinners. Um, and my favorite a combination of, did you hear what they did, is the Christian, like the Christian version, and that's, did you hear what they did? I don't know how they call their, themselves a Christian and do that, so you call their faith into question because that they messed up, and you completely ignore all the crap that you do. Um, I can't stand that person, so let me tell you what they did so that you cannot like them either. That's all that slander and gossip is, is that you don't like somebody, and you want that person to not like them with you. You know, he's a whatever, she's a whatever, things you can't say with a microphone in your hand. Um, you're, you're being constantly critical, all right? So aside from gossiping and, and slandering people, either to their face, behind their back, whatever, this one hit me square in the face today. Being constantly critical of people is sinful. I don't, I don't mean critiques. I don't mean constructive criticism. I mean, why would you do that? You should have done this. You never do anything right. Why do you act this way? Why do you do that? Constantly hammering people, never giving anyone any encouragement, but always telling them what they did wrong, never willing to actually get down and show them, well, this is how you do it right. This is what you should have done, but just constantly criticizing. And that's one that I'm really bad about. I complain and I criticize people all the time. And that's a lack of grace. You know, we speak to people in a condescending fashion, like as if they're dumber than us, or as if, why can't you get your crap together? Why, why are you doing this when you should be doing that? And we speak in gracelessness and arrogance. Generally speaking, that's what sinful speech is. You're speaking in arrogant, you're being arrogant and being graceless. Yeah, but we don't even think of things like this. Right, like whatever we think of sinful speech, like we usually don't sit and like contemplate, you know, how should I be talking? Is the way that I'm speaking to people on a regular basis um, reflecting the gospel of Jesus? We don't think about that. And that's how easy it is to, to sin in how you talk because you don't think about it. You just say things. Right? We speak unwisely. And like James says, it's impossible to never sin in speech. And I started thinking about why would he say that? And, and go with me here. It's impossible to never sin, like to never get your speech perfect because the tongue is where our sinfulness expresses itself and there will always be some dark, unevangelized corner of your heart that needs turned over to Jesus. So from the day you convert and start following Jesus until the day you die, you will wrestle with how you talk. Whether it's about your situation and you're complaining, whether it's uh, about the people that you go to church with or the people that you work with, whether it's gossip, slander, criticism, whatever, you will always struggle with something because you're always going to be a sinner in the need of the grace of Jesus. But we can get better. You'll never get it perfect, 
The Bible tells us to do a lot of things that are impossible, right? Like strive for perfection, things like that. Don't sin anymore. The Bible tells us to to aim for that. We're never going to get there because the only sinless person was Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we can't get better. And this is a lifelong battle. Now, I know in the last three years since I became a Christian, I have went leaps and bounds um, in how I talk to people and how I talk about people and and the things that I'll say and the things that I won't say. So we, we try to grow. But, but James, aside from sinful speech, James really landed on something that, that, that hit me really hard. It's, it's, and it's unique to humanity. Right? Like a horse always sounds like a horse. A cat always sounds like a cat. Things like that. But human beings are actually, we have the ability to be double-tongued. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Like he talks about like, don't be double-minded. Don't, don't have your uh, mind divided between following Jesus and, and doing your own thing but be totally following Jesus. You can be double-tongued as well. Like he says, sometimes the tongue praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. So to praise God one minute and talk badly about someone else in the next is completely inconsistent. And if you think that that's impossible to do, I'm a people watcher. I don't know how many of you guys are people watchers. It's a good time. Uh, Go to a big church like Christ Community. Uh, I'm not talking bad about Christ Community because there are sinners at every single church. Uh, Go sit in your car in the parking lot. Like make a beeline as soon as they say the ending prayer and just sit and watch people in their cars as they're trying to get out of here. Like just got done praising Jesus, just got done praying. Like God is so good. Why are you pulling out in front of me? I don't like, and like they're just slamming the steering wheel and screaming. I get a kick out of watching people lose it. Um, But yeah, like, so, so like I said, you can see it. It's pretty easy to do, to praise God one minute and then call someone an idiot the next, to praise God one minute and curse his creed creation the next. So why is this inconsistent? Why does James tell us not to do this? All human beings have been made in the image of God. God has stamped his mark on all of us, whether or not we follow Jesus. God has given every single one of us inherent value and inherent worth. And yet we talk about one another as if we're worthless. That's a spit in the face of the God that made us. He said, I've given you worth. You're worth something because I made you. You come from me. I've given you worth. And yet we talk about one another as if we are nothing more than trash. That's the inconsistency that James sees here. And he says, surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. And that, that hurts me really bad because, like I said, I, I can't say it enough. I'm not trying to bark at anyone here. This is, this is me. This is, I actually asked Ryan if he would preach this whenever we first started lining James out because I didn't want to do it because this hurts me really bad. This is one of the biggest areas that I struggle in. But aside from our ability to speak double-tongued, right, to, to praise God and then curse people, James makes another point. And that's the tongue has power, like way disproportionate to its size. It's like the smallest thing that we have, and yet it does the greatest damage, or it can do the greatest good. But no matter how you slice it, the tongue has a legitimate claim to power. It can do huge things. Adolf Hitler one of the greatest public speakers to ever live. And I'm not pro-Hitler. I have some Jewish ethnicity. I do not like the guy. But the dude could speak. He could whip a crowd into a frenzy. With his tongue, he got an entire country to commit acts of genocide and infanticide and slaughter the elderly and slaughter the sick. And because he was such a good speaker and could convince people 
to do things, over six million people died. The Westboro Baptist Church, right, with their mouths and getting the right attention, they did a pretty good job in turning most homosexuals against Christianity. Making the world think that if you're a Christian, you're a bigot. That's, that's what they did with their tongue. That's how much power. They, they did a great dishonor to the body of Christ, to, to Jesus himself. That's the kind of power the tongue has. And to, to bring it home a little bit more. There was a boy in my hometown last week. He was 13 years old and he killed himself because he was being bullied on a regular basis. That's the kind of power that's in your mouth. That's the kind of destruction that your words can do. We can unleash hell on each other. Because if we allow Satan to he will use our tongue to set people on fire, period. But that is not what our tongues were made for at all. That is not what our tongues were made for. Our tongues were made to praise God and to give glory to Jesus. Our tongues were made to to bear witness about who Jesus is and what he's done. To praise, to pray, to tell people the gospel. So while our, our speech has this capacity to kill and incite violence and destroy, our speech through the work of the Holy Spirit also has the ability to do something amazing, and that is to breathe life into dead men. That's, what, that's, that's what kind of power that God's given us. Should we follow Jesus? So the single most godly, God-honoring thing that we can do with our speech is to tell people that we are all sinners, that our sin is a crime against God, and that God's justice dictates that we suffer hell for what we've done. God says someone must pay for the crimes that you've done. Someone must pay for the, for the sinful speech you've had. Someone must pay for the adultery. Someone must pay for everything that we have done. And it's us. But in mercy, God sent Jesus. And Jesus comes to earth and he lives a sinless life, never disobeying God, always speaking in a loving, gracious, sometimes harsh when people were stubborn and needed it like me, but always the right way at the right time to the right people, never getting it wrong, never setting someone on fire with his speech, always speaking the way that he was supposed to. And then being sinless, he takes my sin and your sin everything that we do wrong, every word that we shouldn't have said, every time that we tore someone down, and he takes that sin on himself, and then he goes to the cross, and he says, God, you say justice must be paid. Someone must pay for what they have done, and I'm here to pay it. And Jesus goes to the cross, and he suffers the wrath of God for what we have done, being innocent. He pays our justice. He pays what we owe for our sin. But three days later, God raises Jesus from the dead to prove that Jesus' sacrifice was perfect. And then if we'll place our faith in Jesus, we're forgiven for all the mistakes that we made in the past, all the mistakes that we're going to make in the future, all the things that we have said in the past and all the things that we shouldn't say that we're going to say in the future has been covered by Jesus if we'll place our faith in him. So there's there's a response to this. If any of you here... um, want to know more 
about what it means to follow Jesus or what it means to have Jesus pay your penalty for your sin, please come talk to me after the service or we're going to have uh, Brady over here by the couch that he'll pray with you um, if you want to know more. But, but know this, either you will pay for the sins that you've committed when you die or Jesus will. If you put your faith in Jesus, you will owe God nothing because Jesus has paid for all of your mistakes that you will ever make. So believe and start following Jesus. I I can't say that enough. I implore you, follow Jesus. But Christians, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, those who claim that we've been given a new nature, those of us that claim that we've been given a nature like Jesus to speak in the way that we should, I challenge you. I challenge myself. Begin working this lifelong battle to tame your tongue that's never going to be perfectly completed. Imitate Jesus. Forgive people. Reconcile with people. If you would rather talk about somebody for what they have did, go to them. It's what Jesus says to do. He says, if you have something against your brother, go to them and be reconciled to them. Talk about it. Don't, don't be a, a passive-aggressive punk about it. Be reconciled. Talk things over with each other. Don't speak angrily. Don't criticize. Remember that even as Jesus Christ was being murdered, he prayed for the people that were killing him. Keep that in your mind. Keep in mind that after Jesus just found out that his cousin John was dead, he goes off to be by himself and the crowds follow him so he can't even get a moment to grieve by himself. And he had every right to lash out, say, leave me alone Get away from me. And the Bible says that instead, Jesus looked at them and had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's what we should seek to imitate. If we're following Jesus, if he's the Lord of our life, that's what we should seek to imitate. And we should seek to give God honor and glory by telling people the gospel, the message that we are sinners, but that Jesus has paid for our sin in our place if we'll put our faith in him. So I challenge you not only to work on how you talk to people, but to actively go out and, and proclaim the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus. You know, honor God with your tongue. Praise Jesus with your words. You know, tell people what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for for grace, um, for not being condescending towards me, but but coming, um, not being arrogant, but coming to earth and and dying in my place for all those stupid things that I say that I shouldn't say. Thank you for grace and mercy that you've given to me that I don't always want to show to other people. Father, just let, let the cross and what you've done and all that you forgive me for and the way that you spoke just be at the forefront of my mind every single day so that my speech can reflect the faith that I have in you, that my speech can reflect what you've done for me and your graciousness. God, I pray that for all of us. Keep that at the forefront of our minds. Let us, let us not be afraid to share the gospel. Let us praise you with our tongues, not only in singing, not only in praying, but but trying to breathe life into dead people by telling them the good news. God, just strengthen us. It's going to be a lifelong battle, God, but we know that we have the Holy Spirit living in us that will give us strength to overcome our sin. God, we trust you and we thank you for everything you've done for us.
In Jesus' name, amen.